Welcome in, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with Matt and David. Uh, today we got a uh, free agent and trade uh, offseason episode again. We had a couple of a uh, couple shocking trades and signings happen. But before we get into all of that, Matt, how you doing this week? Doing pretty good. Uh, just uh, been hanging out, um, you know, watching all kinds of different sports and. Uh, everything's been good. Um, it's the new year, first episode of the new year. So, uh, happy new year to everybody. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, um, let's get into it. How are you doing, David? I'm doing all right. Got, uh, you know, that final, that final, uh, day off was last weekend and now you gotta, gotta do a five day week now. So, uh, back at, you know, the work and it's a little busy, but. Overall, you know, I'm just hoping my team makes a darn move. We got a bunch of moves to talk about, and spoiler alert, the Cubs ain't one of them. So, you know, we're, I'm getting impatient. But uh, how you doing, Damian? Uh, I am so happy that baseball season's here because uh, the football season did not end the way that I was hoping for as a Colts fan. That was a rough one. But football season's not over. It's over. I'm telling you, it's over. All right. It ended on uh, on Saturday night especially with national championships night and Washington's playing, which is another worst case scenario. But hey, anyways, I'm doing great. Um, you know, holidays are, you know, it just passed and now we're uh, looking forward to the new year here in 2024. As you can tell, I'm excited because we have another Dodgers move to talk about here in this episode. So uh, we'll get to that one here in a little bit, though. Let's oh go ahead. And God. Hey, Sorry. hey, just it's saying. a natural allergic reaction to another Dodgers move. Yeah, I mean, your team hasn't done anything, so. Uh, let's go ahead and start with a smaller move that we had happened to begin with, and that is the Chicago White Sox signing a couple pitchers. First off, they signed reliever Tim Hill to a one-year $1.8 million deal, and then signing uh, Chris Flexen to a one-year $1.75 million deal. Uh, so, Matt, what do you think about the White Sox loading up on a couple pitchers here? Yeah, um, I think that they're both fine deals for a team that's in a full-blown rebuild uh tim hill has at times had some pretty decent stuff he's, he's a really weird like sidearm lefty um you know and, and in 2022 he, he pitched pretty well um you know he gets a lot of ground balls uh doesn't strike out many guys doesn't walk many guys um i mean he's one of those guys that you could see having a random good year because of his weird arm angle and everything and if he does, then you know you might you might have something to trade at the deadline, and it's only a one point eight million dollar deal, so it doesn't really matter. And then you know if he's not good, and then Chris Flexen is a guy who's probably you know his big thing. He typically gives you innings. Um, you know at least you know he can give you one hundred thirty, hundred forty innings, which is uh, which is good. And um, you know for a team that just needs innings. Uh, now Chris Flexen's been pretty good a couple times in his career. After he came back from Korea, where he he kind of did a, like a a career uh, renaissance with with you know kind of going to Korea and figuring some things out, pitched really well there. Came back and he actually had a really good 2021 where he threw 180 innings with a 3.61 ERA. So if you can get him back to that form, 
then uh, you know he's not a bad option. But you know it's kind of another one of those things similar to similar to what I was saying with Tim Hill, where you you might as well. I mean, you know, you're he's he's basically free and you're going to have a spot for him. So let's see if he can, you know, kind of get back to where he was at before. So, I, I mean, these are both great deals for what the White Sox are trying to do this year. It was a classic win-win, you know, couple type of signing for both of these guys, right? The White Sox, you know, if these guys are bad, helps the White Sox lose games and, uh, you know, kind of tank for that draft position, the higher lottery chance. And, you know, if they're good, these are a couple of guys the White Sox can can flip at the deadline on the cheap and, you know, maybe recoup a prospect or two. I think Tim Hill is probably more likely to move. Chris Luxon's a guy you probably want to just keep around, keeping your, you know, floating from your bullpen to your rotation as injuries dictate. And, uh, you know, he, he's not, he wasn't effective last year, but I mean, he'll, he'll pitch, right? He's, he'll be kind of the innings eater type of guy. And I think Matt hit Tim Hill on the head, funky lefty. Uh, prone to those blow up starts where he's just chucking it down the middle, but you know if he can get the stuff on and get the the breaking pitches, uh, fooling guys, he's going to be really effective and especially against left handed hitters. So, uh, you know, a couple of reasonable moves for the White Sox where you know no risk and uh, only reward to be gained from these two. Yeah, absolutely, good pickup for both, and uh, there's no such thing as a bad one year deal. Um, so let's go from one Sox to the other color Sox in the MLB. In the Boston Red Sox, they signed uh, starting pitcher Lucas Giolito to a two-year, $38.5 million deal that does have an opt-out after year number one. Uh, so, David, what do you think about Lucas Giolito heading to Boston? I'm not going to lie. I completely forgot about this move. Uh, Lucas Giolito was really bad last year, right? I, I think we talked about him a little bit in our kind of free agent predictions podcast, and he's come up a few times as one of those options um, you know, throughout baseball that's, you know, he's at ace, ace upside. He's had really, really good seasons in 2019 and 2021 where he laid down a three and a half ERA and, you know, four to five wins above replacement as a starting pitcher, you know, through 175 innings. You know, he was kind of on the cusp of breaking out into, you know, ace form. And that just has not materialized uh, over the last couple of seasons, you know, and he, last year he had a five ERA. He was getting blown up, and there's some rumors of some like personal issues that were kind of causing this. And I know Lucas Giolito is a pretty good guy, all things that we like we know of him. So I, I think that's possible that something like off the field was affecting him because his performance has just been so much worse. Um, you know, the last couple of years, and he was traded and then cut and then signed again, and he pitched for three teams and. I think if he as he stabilizes himself in Boston with you know Craig Breslow as the the kind of new head of operations in Boston, I think this is a really you know a smart pickup. The one year deal means Giolito can opt out if he has a really good year and, and you know go back to free agency and maybe pick up a a big long term deal. Um, Red Sox can obviously get a qualifying offer if he pitches well, and if not, it's just a two year commitment for pretty what is pretty much the going rate for like a three four starter right now, which is like seventeen million dollars a year. So you know, overall, I think this is a great deal for the Red Sox is a great deal for Lucas Giolito. Hopefully he can kind of rebound and get back to that 2019, 2021 form and go back to the market next year and you know, get a big deal. Yeah. Lucas Giolito is a guy that um, I think he kind of hit it pretty well there. Uh, he still does have swing and miss stuff. This past year was really weird for him because I mean, he was over nine strikeouts per nine innings again, but the strikeout rate was real similar to what it has been. But he was just not very effective. Uh, gives up a ton of home runs, and that's really been his problem. And I think part of it is warranted because he's, you know, he gives up. He's got a 17 
or sorry, he's got a he's got a uh, career thirty eight percent ground ball rate, which isn't very good. So, you know, he gives up a lot of home runs, um, a lot of fly balls. That he, he's kind of been famous for throwing that high changeup, which it's gotten a lot of swing and miss at times. But it also, if that, if you're not locating that well, it's getting hit over the fence a lot. So I think that's part of it. Uh, I know that when he went to LA and Cleveland, he kind of ditched some of his other off speed and he kind of went fastball change up. And that probably was a big time issue for him. Um, you know, now the, the underlying metrics last year before the trades were not terrible. And he had a 379 ERA in the first half before, before he got moved to the angels. Um, and then of course, when he was with the angels and the, in the guardians, I mean, he was in a, really tough situation you know where it, it was the vibes weren't good it was just it was tough so um you know we'll see what happens with him i think um it's definitely it's not very cheap um you know 19 million a year especially you know these these deals you know that have that opt out after year one that really hurts a team because i mean if he pitches well you only get him on a one-year deal but that you still got the downside of multi-year deal and you know that second year is one year 19 million dollars and it's a huge amount of you know that that's a if, if he if he busts then you're basically 20 million dollars in dead money already next year so i mean but there's no upside to that second year so i i mean i think that's a tough tough thing for the red sox to give him but if it wasn't for the opt-out, I don't feel terrible about that. Um, the market's been really high for starting pitchers, uh, and I think that that's something that I think the Red Sox think they can fix them, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, sorry, I got distracted. I was looking up something else real quick. Um, yeah, I don't I don't hate this move for the Red Sox. Um, with the upside that potentially Lucas Giolito can bring you um, – you know, if they're a team, I almost see this deal as something that they might be able to potentially move at the deadline even because I don't know how competitive the Red Sox are going to be this year, especially there's been some rumors that they're trying to shed off more salary already, you know, like maybe a Kenley Jansen or a Mazataka Yoshida. It's just a really weird situation there. And if you can get Gilito, you know, back to his le- his levels that he was at pre or you know before the trade deadline when he was in Chicago or a couple years ago uh that's easily a flippable contract and I don't even think I mean the way we've seen the market right now I don't I don't think it's that all that terrible for for Giolito with the potential upside he does have um there and I think it'll be an easier deal to potentially move even next season if they need to if he if he opts back in yeah. Uh, but let's jump over to the Cincinnati Reds that they signed uh, Frankie Montas to a one-year $14 million deal uh, that has a $20 million option on that uh, with a $2 million buyout. So essentially a one-year $16 million deal if you count the buyout. Yeah, um, those mutual options almost never that, – that's such a weird, weird thing. But um, – but yeah, uh, Frankie Montas had a zero ERA this year, um, but it was in one in a third inning. <laughs> um, that's kind of been his issue. It, he got traded from Oakland to the Yankees, and um, you know back in 2022. And since that trade, he's barely pitched. I think he might have pitched like 39. It looks like 39 innings for the Yankees in 2022. 2023, uh, pitched one inning on the season. 
And, you know, that's kind of the issue. But, I mean, this guy was really, really good for a multi-year stretch for the Oakland A's uh, before the trade. There was a reason he got a huge return for the for the A's. Uh, in 2021, he threw 187 innings uh, with a 3.37 ERA, um, which was ex- excellent. And then in 2022, in the first half, he threw a, um, you know, had a 3.18 ERA. And the underlying metrics backed both of those seasons up uh, fully. So, but then he had some shoulder issues, and you know, shoulder issues are scary. But if Frankie Montas, after not really pitching much last year, can come back healthy and ready to go. Um, I think this could be a fantastic signing. I prefer this signing to Lucas Giolito because I think that there's a better chance that Frankie Montas is healthy than Lucas Giolito stops giving up home runs, which has been a problem for him for a long time. So, I, I re- and especially with the fact that it's cheaper and you don't have to pay that second year, I think this is an excellent signing for the Reds. And, um, you know, I think it's a little bit of a risk because of the injury history there, but I really like this move for the Reds. One one thing to note is that man that man that deal for the Yankees was pretty brutal. Um, yeah, but it was I awful. I think ultimately the Yankees ended up not really giving up all that much. Ken Waldachuk hasn't been good, and I am spacing on who else <clears throat> has been in that deal. Um, but for now, like you know, I think Montas is a the the contract reflects the pitcher that you know the risk of of the pitcher that you're getting here for the Reds, right? You know, Montas might be better but he's been injured for so long and he's been ineffective since he left Oakland I just don't see there being any way that you know he gets a guarantee better than Giolito who's been uh an innings stalwart even if he's been ineffective at times right I mean Giolito threw 185 innings last year right and and every year before this he's made all or most of his starts and and Montas has not (laughs) right he's got one full season essentially pitched so you know, I, I like the deal for the Reds, right? This is a, a very reasonable and smart move uh, to go pick up a one-year deal for a guy with only upside. And the Reds are not known for spending money. So, you know, $14 million is a lot for them, but it's also, you know, something to stabilize the rotation in theory and maybe get that upside that can help you push for the NL Central, which is a very winnable division. Uh, it's a good deal for the Reds. Uh, it's a good deal for Montas, who can go back to the market next year if he has another good good year. Uh, these one-year deals are at, at you know 14 to 18 million are pretty reasonable for starters hoping to be a a better than a two or a three. Um, but you know ultimately, if their production kind of meets that three four, the team isn't really all that upset. So yeah, and, yeah. and uh, Damian, you mentioned the one to fourteen. It's actually one to sixteen, but that is a that's a mutual option, right? So if Frankie Montas pitches really well this year and goes back on the market, uh, they don't. They would still be one fourteen, right? Yeah. So he's giving okay, one fourteen yeah. cash, and then there's the two million buyout if yeah. the team declines it, which would make it the one for right, sixteen. Right. But so if he's he opts out, he's, if he wants it. Uh, I don't know if he if he opts out. I don't think he gets a buyout, so it would be right, that's only say, for him. That's why I say if he wants it. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. And I, we just said it a minute ago. I don't, there's no such thing as a bad one year deal. And this is kind of how I view the Montas contract because it it does have that mutual option. Like one of those parties isn't going to pick it up. Um, it's either going to be Montas pitched so well that he wants to go back out to the market and secure a a longer term deal, or it's going to be the red saying you pitched so bad or you didn't pitch at all. Um, that we don't want you here for $20 million or, you know, or, you know, $4 million more than what we would already have to pay you uh, or paid you this last season. So 
you know, I, you, Matt said you would, he would rather take this contract to the Giolito one. I personally would take Giolito because like David said, he, he pitches where over the past year and a half, you're looking at a guy in Montas who's thrown 40 innings. I think what he throw 39 innings after he was traded to the Yankees at the trade deadline in 2022. And he threw one and a third innings this year. So you just aren't sure that you're going to get Montas pitching. And he had only thrown a hundred and what 44 innings was 2022 and 187 in 2021. And for that, he was under a hundred every year before that too. So I just don't trust him to, to be healthy enough to, to be there every day. That's why I would rather have the, the guy who pitches and, and hope the home run rate, you know, comes down some uh, with Giolito, but uh, let's jump over to the Los Angeles angels. And they signed Zach Plesak, uh to kind of a surprising contract one year, $1 million. Uh, so we were just talking about Montas at 14, you know, Giolito at an AAV of 19. Um, Zach Plesak got a one year, $1 million. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a no-brainer for the Angels. Like, yeah. I don't think Zach, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think Zach Plazak is that great. But I mean, he's a legit major league starter. I mean, you look at his metrics over the past few years: a uh, four forty-seven fifth this year, or even, even though it was only twenty-one innings, but he still spent a lot of time injured. But you know, he had a uh, you know four forty-five fifth the year before. He's all his ERA's typically been in the in the threes or fours. Uh, he had the 2020 season. He was really, really good. Had a 2.28 ERA, but you know that was only 55 innings of that short season. But I mean, the guy, the, this guy's obviously gotten big league hitters out at times. Pitched a pretty decent amount of innings. Not, you know, a huge workhorse, but you know, 142 innings in 2021, 131 in 2022. Um, you know, if he's healthy this year, I mean, I think that just $1 million. I mean, we're seeing guys get like $10 million with way worse numbers than please. I, I, I was surprised to see $1 million for him. He did get cut from the guardians, yeah. which is a team known to develop their pitching and they couldn't figure out how to get him back to that form. I, I do wonder if this is a case of kind of a guy who's a little bit broken, but uh, you know, the angels have a lot of room for innings pitched, right? This is a group in the bullpen that had a bunch of really high ERAs. They've already done some work this off season, bringing in Luis Garcia and Adam Simber. Uh, I don't think there's really a spot in the rotation unless he's displacing like Chase Silseth, which he might. Um, but for, you know, Detmers, Canning, Patrick Sandoval, Tyler Anderson. I think that's at least, you know, going to be locked in, I think, for next year for the Angels. So Police Act will be fighting for that fifth starting starter job in spring and the long relief role in the bullpen. If not, it's a no-brainer move for the Angels. They need pitching. They need upside. Zach Police Act's got a little bit upside maybe, you know. He's he's had a good season here and there, but I think mostly they just need some innings, and, and Police Act can give that to him here. So, you know, hopefully he can get back right, and, and uh, the Angels obviously are in dire need of pitching and they still will be after the signing. Yeah. So I'm going to try and see if I could find this real quick, but he did get cut from the guardians, but he only has three years of service time. So does that mean that the angels get him for, they have the three years of control then for him technically. Yeah. He's not a free agent um, until 2027. Yeah. So he'd be ARB eligible. He still has a couple minor league options too. So, 
I mean, you're getting, you, you signed him to a one-year deal, but you're getting a guy who has, you know, three to four years of control there who's shown the ability to potentially be a number five starter. Um, you know, we, we're talking about a 420 ERA in his career, four, five, three, fifth. So not, not overly great, but somebody who could be a back-end starter for you at some time, eat innings there for $1 million with the club control there. I mean, if, if you do fix mm-hmm. him, not that we expect the Angels to, they haven't shown a history of that at all but you know there's there's no this isn't a bad deal at all i mean it's it's really cheap and you, the control that comes with it i mean for the, the amount of contracts we're talking for five starters right now anyways um you know you gotta you gotta applaud the angels on this one uh so let's transition over to talking about the san diego padres and they signed another foreign relief pitcher in this time in Suk. Go for two years, four point five million dollars. Yeah, I know absolutely nothing about him, <laughs> but his name is awesome. So yeah. that's yeah. all I can say. Yeah, he's he's a closer from Korea, and yeah. he's he's got kind of middling control in Korea, right? So strikes out a lot of guys, walks a lot of guys. The the question is whether he can keep that together for the whole season. He was a kind of a straight up closer and I think he lost the closers role last year over in Korea and got got back to a 360 ADRA but he's had really elite dominant closer seasons had like 42 saves in 2022 140 ADRA like that's a you know that's a dominant reliever and, and I think he's got the stuff to be a dominant reliever but he's does not have the control to be super effective and you might kind of look at some Kaiuji Fujikawa stuff where occasionally he wows and or not uh, not Kai, uh Shoto Fujinami, that's it. Yeah, that's the, the guy, guy I was, I was to the A's from last yeah, year. I, yeah, I was just about to ask you if if you if he reminded you of uh, him. Yeah, I, I think there's not not in the way that they pitch. I think they're yeah, very different. The in terms of, yeah, but just like the results of what's going to happen. Like this guy's going to pop up on pitching ninja a few times, and you're going to look at his stats. He's going to have like an eight ERA, right? And and you're going to be like, what the heck happened? Like, I, you know, he'll have flashes. Um, yeah. But this is a, you know, it's a two-year deal, very low risk, you know, low money. Padre kind of right up with the Padres need, which was to save money but put some arms in the bullpen. So, you know, it can only get better for for Wusuk Go, I think, going forward. It's a, it's an intriguing option to be sure. Yeah, I mean, twenty-five-year-old bullpen arm coming over, do you get him for what is that, two point seven per year? Um, yeah, yeah, I think two point seven per year. It's a really, really cheap bullpen two, arm. 2.25. 2.25. I did my math wrong. Public school education, fellas. Um, yeah, but like saying, David, but... Was, David was saying here, you know, just looking at his Korean stats, he has in 368 innings, he's got a 3.18 ERA. He's got um, 401 strikeouts, but 163 walks there. Um, you know, 139 saves. So uh, I don't know if he'll... You know, they have a, a three-headed monster there now with Yuki Matsui, Wusuko, and then Robert Suarez. So, you know, one of those guys would be battling for the uh, for the closers role, and then the other two you'd probably think are going to be setup guys for him. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out, but a relatively cheap contract, you know, for the, for the bullpen market there. And if you get some high upside from Go, then that just helps the Padres even more. Uh, so let's jump over to the New York Mets, and they made a couple signings, signing outfielder Harrison Bader to a one-year $10 million deal, and then signing uh, pitcher Sean Manaya to a two-year $28 million deal that has an opt-out in it as well. 
Yeah, Harrison Bader uh, back in New York, but with the other New York team. Um, he's um, I, I mean, he's a totally serviceable outfielder. Um, still very good defensively. He's had stretches at times where the bat has been decent. Uh, you know, 2021, a 108 WRC plus in, uh, you know, in, in a 401 plate appearances. Um, he has struggled at times to stay healthy. Um, and, you know, in 2023, it was his worst hitting season of his career. Um, just he, he honestly had some bad luck on batted balls last year. He, I think he's probably better than a 70 WRC plus. He had a 261 Babbitt with his speed and, and contact profile. He hits the ball pretty hard at I don't really think that's – I think he's going to do better than that. Um, but, I mean, pretty much what you're paying for here is it's kind of like a righty version of, you know, great value Kevin Kiermeyer, um, where you're kind of going for defense, but you're, um, you know, you're um, – you know, you, you might have a little bit of upside in the bat because at times, like, if he puts up a – you know, league average hitting season, he's going to have like, and, and he plays the full year, he's going to have like five or five war. I mean, he's that good of a defender. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a somewhat risky signing, but I mean, it's one year deal and there's some upside here. I think it's a good move for the Mets with Harrison Bader. So never forget the article that said that Harrison Bader was the next Mike Trout from, from St. Louis. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you know, Matt nailed, nailed this one right he's a guy with the defense the center field defense he's uh he and michael a taylor were probably the options here for for the mets and they went with harrison bader he's a little bit younger and maybe a little bit more upside in the bat you know hits the ball hard runs really fast and and the product of him running really fast kind of like what we saw also with philly hamilton is those guys just end up not being able to stay healthy and you know as the speed starts to deteriorate the the pitchers get a little more aggressive in the zone with them and it's just harder for them to uh, you know, hit the ball as hard and get, you know, get the bat on the ball. So, you know, if Bader can, can make that contact and, and stay healthy, he'll be, you know, at least solid for the Mets in center field. And that pushes Brandon Nimmo to a corner, which kind of continues to make that, that deal to something that sign last year look a little bit risky because Nimmo was good, but you know, he, that, that was a big time center field move for a guy who last year, I think was his like most healthy season. So, um, you know, we'll see how that, that, that Nimmo deal works out, especially now that he's not going to be playing center field this year while Bader is healthy. Um, yeah, Nimmo, Nimmo had... wasn't, Nimmo wasn't very good in center field last year. He had yeah. kind of made some, some strides to being at least average there, but over the past, but he was pretty bad in center field last year. Right. So that's probably part of it too. Damien, you got anything on Bader? Uh, Bader, you know, I just think it's a it's a solid kind of fourth outfielder type thing. I don't know if it fully pushes Nimmo to the corner outfield yet. Um, yeah. Based off of what was kind of said through the New York media guys, they kind of view him as just against lefties, potentially being center field, and then like a defensive replacement later in the game. And, you know, moving Nimmo over to left field maybe late in the game there. But... Um, you know, I think he's a solid player for what he gives you super good defensively. He's going to bring a lot of speed to that. And if you're able to figure out um, him hitting at all, I mean, it's going to bring some value to that team. And uh, I think it's funny that the Mets are kind of going to the Yankees roster there. I mean, they've signed Luis Severino, they've signed Harrison Bader, and they hired their bench coach as the new manager. So uh, New York team still in from one New York team there. So for Sean Manaya. 
I am pulling up the game log because there was a point in July this year where Sean Mania introduced a sweeper. And once he introduced the sweeper, he had a improved strikeout rate. He lowered his walk rate. He threw around 60 innings and he had like a 3.4 ERA. Uh, This is mostly coming out of the, the Giants bullpen. But at the end of the year, he made four starts, and those starts went five and two-thirds, five and a third, seven innings, six innings, and then he struck out a bunch of guys, only give up a, a run and like more than one run in one of the starts against the Giants. Uh, seven innings of shutout ball against the Dodgers was one of those starts. So the idea, my Greg from Ivy Futures um, from Northside Bound, but at Ivy Futures, he gave us the the scoop on this is that Manaya was really good all year, right? And he was really interested in, in him as a, as a starting pitcher option. Well, the Mets are the one who pick him up and put him in the rotation. Um, and this is a guy who, a lot like Frankie Montas, was really good for the Oakland A's, got traded, and had struggled mightily since getting traded. And so with Manaya introducing the sweeper from the left side, um, I think he might be a serviceable starter going forward. I, I don't know that I trust it yet. He's not a guy who blows you away with, you know, fastball velocity, right? He, he's going to utilize that movement. He's going to try to create some soft contact, um, you know, a lot like that Dodgers start, right? Where he only gave up three hits, but he struck out two and didn't walk anybody. So, you know, he'll be a very nice serviceable four starter, which for 14 million, that's about what they're going for these days. So, um, you know, I think the Mets have, this is kind of the op- the polar opposite of the, the Verlander signing last year, right? Like that, you know, very little injury risk. Um, you know, he's going to go out there. He's going to give you some, some starting innings. He can at least, you know, rotate into the swingman role. If he struggles, you know, the Mets just need, you know, some arms, some stability, that rotation fell apart last year. So, um, I expect, you know, that to be kind of a good signing and it's got that upside and pedigree of being something that, kind of was talked about throughout baseball circles as this guy had a new pitch. Now he's going to be a, a better pitcher and uh, the Mets are the one to capitalize on him there. Yeah. Um, I I'm with you on a lot of that. Uh, you know, I was looking at the the splits for the season last year and he was actually, um, you know, everyone's talked about his second half versus his first half. He was actually better in the first half by XFIP. So you know, which is only one metric, but it's kind of interesting. Like his FIP was pretty similar, but his ERA splits were crazy. Like he had a very low ERA in the second half, a very high ERA in the first half. And I think part of that, you know, I think just had a fairly unlucky first half of the season. Um, you know, and this is an interesting one that, you know, the Mets obviously need pitching in the worst way. They traded their two expensive starters that they had last year, their veterans at the deadline. They still do have you know, Kodai Sanga, and, you know, they've got some decent options in the middle of their rotation, like, you know, like Jose Quintana uh, being one of them. And, but they, you know, they, they need more pitching depth. They struck out on Yamamoto. Um, They really wanted him. And and I think they've kind of, they haven't really pulled in anybody else. Like they're kind of looking at having like Tyler McGill and David Peterson be stalwarts in their rotation this year as of right now. So bringing in a guy like Sean Manaya, who showed some flashes last year of kind of figuring it out a little bit. Um, you know, he on the season he had a he had a sub four FIP, which is pretty solid, even though he had a four forty four ERA. Uh, you know, I think his his, you know, 
coming out of the bullpen might have helped him at times. Um, and I know the Mets will try to start him, but if, if it does go poorly as a starter, he was excellent against left-handed pitching last year. I mean, left-handed hitters last year. So I think that, um, you know, that could be an option that if he doesn't work out very well, he could be your lefty setup guy out of the bullpen. I don't know if Brooks Rayleigh's back with them. He was their guy last year, but, um, that would be a good option too for him. So I think this is kind of a fair, you know, fair contract for him. Uh, again, I don't love the having the opt out for the player. If you're, you know, a guy like this, it's kind of a reclamation project from from the team side because there is downside to Sean Mania, and you know, you might just be stuck paying that. But I, I don't think that fourteen million dollars for that second year really matters to the Mets, anyways. So uh, definitely, definitely a good signing for them, I think, and and something that they can, uh, you know, it's a good experiment to take home. Yeah, I like I like the Manaya deal. Um him adding that sweeper to me is a big a big factor into this. I mean, if you look just through the pitches, you know, against the sweeper this year, a 140 batting average against a 163 slugging, a 35% whiff rate. Um, you know, if you even look at the expected numbers, I mean, a expected 161 average, expected 211 slugging, you know, expected 227 ex-woba like that pitch was disgusting um and if he can you know it's primarily going to be against the lefties that that pitch is is better against but if he's able to figure out anything with that that sinker and, and maybe the the change up again that because the change has really been his bread and butter pitch um and the expected numbers on that this year were not very good um, so he needs to figure that part out, but I think adding that sweeper is going to make it really, really viable again. You know, if you, if you have that change up to a sweeper and then now you're able to throw the sinker, um, or, or forcing whichever one he decides to go with there, you know, you have three pitches that could go opposite directions there. If you, if you go with the sinker, um, and he does have a kind of a little bit of a funky motion. He's not going to overpower you with, with power, but man, I, I, I don't. I don't see a downside to this deal because I mean, it's below really what we're talking about. I mean, you, you it's same amount of money as Frankie Montas was. Um, and that's kind of the going rate for the number five starters right now anyways. And I don't see that number getting any lower next year. So even if he, you know, you, you have to bring him back next year at the $14 million again, like I really don't see a downside to that deal. Um, and if he's good, then he's just going to leave anyways. Um, if, if that sweeper is as good as, as what it's being played up to be and what the numbers on it look like, um, like it can be. So, uh, I like, I like the, the Benaya deal for the vets. Uh, so let's jump over to the Colorado Rockies where they signed uh, starting pitcher, Dakota Hudson to a one year, $1.5 million deal. And then catcher Jacob Stallings to a one year, $1.5 million deal, um, has a mutual option on that end. Yeah, I actually kind of like the Dakota Hudson deal for them uh, because, I mean, obviously it's super cheap for one thing. Rebuilding team, they've got to have somebody that will pitch innings this year. But he's a guy that has been a huge ground ball guy his entire career. He's not – he's never gotten swing and miss. He's never struck a bunch of guys out. Or he's never he's, he's never been like a super good control guy either. He's walked guys. But, you know, over 50% ground ball rate every year of his career. I think that's something that the Rockies probably would like to see, just get guys that will get the ball on the ground. I mean, if Dakota Hudson can figure out how to stop walking guys, then it might work out okay for them. Um, maybe in a similar way to kind of – 
you know, they've had Antonio Sensatella, um, you know, over the past few years. And, you know, th- he's kind of a similar type of just never, he gives up, he, he gets the ball on the ground and he, you know, never strikes guys out, but he kind of improved his walk rate and became a, you know, a big league starter again. I think it could be something like that where you've got some form of value there. And then uh, the other, Jacob Stallings, just, I mean, they need another catcher. I mean, Elias Diaz is not good. He's a terrible defender behind the plate. And at least Jacob Stallings can play a little bit of defense. If you feel better about Elias Diaz's bat because he had a good two months to start the year last year and went to the All-Star game, then, you know, maybe you start him and can bring in Jacob Stallings later in games. But this is just not a, you know, it's a bad team and you need players that will play on a bad team. And, I mean, Jacob Stallings probably brings a little bit of leadership. He's been around, you know, a while and he's a decent defensive catcher. So might as well. And, you know, see if he can set a career high in home runs, which right now is eight because he's playing in cores. So there's that. Jacob Stallings is a a good immaculate great answer if you're looking for a Pirates Gold Glove winner because he won Gold Glove in 2021. Um, you know he's he's a good defensive catcher. He's got good reputation. The the type of guy who you know he's not going to bring much offensively, but maybe Coors drives up that uh, you know that batted ball profile and gets him you know a little bit better of a slash line, even if the the rate stats probably won't be much better. But yeah, you know, at this point Stallings is over 30. He's you know he late bloomed. To having his kind of breakout seasons, and yeah, at this point, a bit of a failed signing with the Marlins couldn't really hit. We'll see if Coors is any better for him there. And yeah, D- Dakota Hudson at this point is a, you know, he's a Rockies pitcher, is what he is. He's gonna have like a seven ERA and you know a five and a half FIP because he's playing in Coors and give up you know league high runs, but he'll pitch all year. So that that's fine for the Rockies, I suppose. This is a disaster organization has been for years. Yeah, one thing I'm looking forward to seeing the Rockies potentially do with Dakota Hudson is throw his curveball more. Um, his curveball's actually been pretty good um, the past couple years, and they just he hardly throws it. Um, so I'm looking to see if he could do that because we know like he's a sinker slider type guy, and his slide you know we all know the sliders don't really move as much in the higher elevation. So I'm gonna be interested to see if they up his curveball usage there. Um, and wonder if that if that sinker is able to be you know they see something with the sinker that they might be able to um, to tweak on it maybe a little bit to help that ground ball rate a little bit more because it's been getting crushed the last couple years um, and then maybe ditch some of that slider stuff because it's been it's been really the main pitch he gets a lot of the slugging percentage and stuff off of um, there and just dip ditch the four seam fastball altogether so I'm gonna be really interested to see that you know Dakota Hudson was a high rated prospect I think he has some upside. You know, especially being a ground ball pitcher going to Coors, um, they have a really good infield defense too with Ryan McMahon, um, Brendan Rogers, and then what's the shortstop? I've, Ezekiel Tovar. Um, there's a really good defensive, uh, you know, three right there. And then what uh, was it? Brenton Doyle in center field is really, really good as well. So that up the middle defense is, is going to be pretty good. So I'm excited for that one. Stallings is just a backup catcher kind of guy who's he's fine. I don't really see that he's going to be playing much, especially over Diaz. I know Diaz is bad defensively, but I don't think that the Rockies are good in general. So, 
Uh, let's move over to the signing that we had happened yesterday in the same division, and that is that the Dodgers signed Teoscar Hernandez to a one-year $23.5 million deal. Yeah, uh, with $8 million deferred. you got to remember that. Yeah, um, there is that. But, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one. I think that you know Teoscar Hernandez is a guy that played 160 games last year for the Mariners, um, and he was pretty good. Uh, for the most part, he, he had a he had a 105 WRC plus, which was not great. I mean, it's okay because he's a corner outfielder. He should probably do better than that. Uh, but he played a little bit better defense than he has in the past. At times, his defense has really been rough. But there's been a couple of years that he's been at least closer to average. So um, you know, I think that that's definitely helpful to him. Um, you know, you look at his. Um, you know, look at his profile. He's a guy that hits the ball extremely hard, but his plate discipline is bad. He doesn't walk much. He strikes out a ton, but he, he hits the ball really hard. That's a really bad place for him to play. Uh, being in, um, you know, being in, um, in in Seattle, it's a tough park for him. Uh, so you know, if you're bringing him in, and he's gonna probably platoon slash. I would assume he'd mainly platoon with Jason Hayward, but I'm no. sure he'll probably play more than just that. Um, he'll play. He'll be the everyday left fielder. I guess okay. Jason Hayward will be a right, right fielder. I mean, he's he's fine for for an everyday left fielder. If he can get back to like that 120 WRC plus range with, with his defense, he'll be a quality starter. You know, but I think you probably prefer him as more of a platoon guy if he performs like he did last year. But he's a you know he's a solid player. I do think twenty three million might be a little high for him. But I mean it's the Dodgers; they don't really care about money, and you know they were able to you know get rid of some. Of, he had a he had those those multi year offers that they were able to you know p- pull him in from by giving him a lot of one year money. So yeah, I mean this is my like pick to click if, if for all the free agent signings we've had that are, you know, shorter term or anything. I mean, T. Oscar is about to go nuts, right? This is a guy who absolutely smashes the baseball. Um, and now you're putting him into a lineup with Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, right? Like this is a guy who's, you know, the pitchers are thankful that they're getting to him, but then at the same time, he's going to be able to jump all over stuff because they're not going to be able to walk him. Right, he's going to get strikes, and in the Mariners lineup, pitchers can stay out of the out of the strike zone for him, and just you know, you know, not risk walking him. But in a lineup like this, I mean, Teoscar Hernandez is kind of going to be the cleanup guy, right? And he can hit the ball out of the park anytime, and you know, effectively a JD Martinez replacement to a team that already stacked up their lineup. You know, he is going to, I think, feast. Uh, with the Dodgers adjustments, with the Dodgers coaching staff, and I think he'll go to the market next year and get a really big deal. So uh, I, I've always been a bit of a Tiasker Hernandez believer. Um, he does have a lot of swing and miss, but it, you know they made it work with J.D. Martinez last year. So I see no reason why they won't be able to make it work with Tiasker this year. And you know, on top of that, I mean, he's just a you know he's a fun guy. He's a you know one of those kind of swaggy guys who's gonna go out there, hit the ball as hard as hell, and trot around the bases. It's, it's gonna be fun and of all the you know Dodgers moves that have annoyed the crap out of me, this one's maybe the most annoying because I think he was a you know he's a prime breakout candidate and it, it's it might be it might be a really good season for him. Yeah, I mean this was a guy I've been clamoring for. He's the perfect fit to this offense, especially as it's so left-handed now. Um, you know, there's there's six lefties in this lineup, and this is a guy who crushes lefties in general. Um, you know, 
looking at his last year, Matt, you talked about how it was, you know, Seattle was a tough place for him to be. If you look at all of the, the stats and the underlying stats about first left, first right, home and away, like it's insane the difference. At home, he was a 217 hitter, 263 on base, 380 slugging with a 643 OPS and an 81 WRC plus. You go to the road, he's a 295 hitter, 344 on base, 486 slugging. That's an 830 OPS with a 126 WRC plus. You talk about his home versus righties. Um, 65 WRC plus 204 average of 589 OPS. You look at his away versus righties last year, 287 batting average, 483 slugging and 827 OPS. And his WRC plus on the road versus lefties and versus righties was the same at 130. Like, I think he really, really struggled in Seattle. I don't think he saw the ball well there at all. And I think he's going to a place where you know, we've seen them get the most out of any player they get to anyways. It's going to be a better environment for him. He's going to be in a more stacked lineup. I mean, you're going to be talking about Teoscar Hernandez hitting sixth in this lineup, seventh potentially, um, depending on the way they want, if they want to end the lineup with three lefties or, or whatever they want to do. Um, maybe versus left-handed hitters he or left-handed pitching, he might you know jump up to the four or the five spot. Um, but this guy just is going to, mash lefties there he's going to hit righties fairly well um and i think this last season that the numbers look down but i think there's a clear reason why is if you look at his home and road splits um as to why he's a 105 wrc plus guy and he still hit 26 homers last year and hit 260 so uh, and i think his defensive chart you know moving him from right field to left field every single day i think that's going to take a tick up anyways um you know a little bit there just not having to play right field. So um, let's jump over to our trades that we had happen now. And the first one was the Atlanta Braves and Boston Red Sox lining up on a deal that saw the Atlanta Braves acquire Chris Sale uh, for Vaughn Grissom and the Braves subsequently signing Chris Sale to a two-year $38 million extension with a $18 million club option for 2026. Yeah, um, I was absolutely shocked when I saw this deal, um, but it makes sense. Um, you know, the Braves really needed another pitcher, and they're a little bit strapped on money. I think at, at the point that they've, you know, they've spent a lot of money this off season, even though they haven't necessarily spent it on like one quality free agent piece or anything. They've they've kind of spread it around. They've gotten two or three quality relievers. Um, you know, they purchased. Jared Kellenick with some dead money that they took on from Seattle. Um, so they, they've done some things like that that have, you know, cost them some money this year. But, um, you know, they needed another guy. And Chris Sell, when he's been healthy, has still been good. Uh, this year, he was very, very effective when he was healthy. Uh, he had a weird rib injury. He had a weird finger injury. He's had He has had some shoulder issues, and he had Tommy John back in, like, 2020. But... Uh, since he came back from, uh, you know, Tommy John, you know, he's just, he's had freak stuff. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, coming back from, from, from in 2023, he pitched, he started 20 games and he was really good over 10 strikeouts per nine. His strikeout rate was still really, really good. He didn't walk many guys. He did have a 430 ERA, but the underlying, uh, metrics were really, really good on him. Uh, still had a sub four fit, um, 
you know, at a 380. I think that this is a guy that when you're looking at, you know, a Braves team that does have three good options in the rotation right now, Chris Sell's a guy you feel like you probably are comfortable giving a playoff start if he's healthy. And you've got enough rotation depth there to where you can give him some time off if you need to during the season. You know, if he starts to get a little bit fatigued at some point, put him on the IL, try to get 140 to 150 innings out of him. And that if you can get that out of him and, and he pitches at the level that he's typically pitched at over the last, you know, over the second half of his career, um, you're looking at a really, really good, good deal here. Um, and I think that, you know, with Vaughn Grissom, um, you know, I liked Vaughn Grissom as a prospect, but there's some concern about his contact, um, his, his quality of contact. And I think that's why the Braves were kind of willing to move on from him. He's also not a very good defender. So you're kind of looking at a contact first bat that is not a very good defender, he doesn't strike out much, which is nice. His walk rates have been pretty bad at the high upper levels of the minors. You know, in 2023, his walk rate in AAA was really good in 102 games, but he really struggled at the big league level last year. And I think the Braves didn't really have anywhere to play him, so he was kind of expendable. There might be a little bit of shine worn off. He was a pretty good prospect. I think he might have broken onto a top 100 list at one point right before he got called up in 2022. Uh, but you know he's he's a quality he he's had a a large amount of success in the minor leagues and um you know we'll see what happens i think um you know i think it's a pretty good deal for the red sox um you know they'll have a place they 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 needed a second baseman so they have a place to play him and um you know i don't think the upside with Vaughn Grissom is that high but i think there's a pretty good chance he's at least a a, a little bit above league average hitter and if he can figure out the defense then he could be a, a pretty solid player for them. So I think it was good value that they got. Um, I think both teams kind of made out here, and, and the Braves, uh, Braves also on the, you know, as I mentioned, they got Chris Sell for free, um, money wise for this year because the Red Sox paid basically his entire salary for this year, and I think they did go back on that a little bit by signing him to that extension. They got rid of the deferral, uh, so they are going to pay him a little bit this year, but they got him very, very cheap. And I think that was a big part of this, too. When you look at the rest of the market, what guys have gotten, getting Chris Sell for basically no money this year is worth giving up a pretty good prospect for. I'd unmute it. Yes. Uh, so Chris Sale, it, the one note I want to make, and, I, you know, Matt's the Braves guy, right? So I, I, I don't have too much here to add. But what I do think this the extension does well for Chris Sale is, you know, it gives the Braves that, that replacement for Charlie Morton next year yeah. in that three hole. And I think Hurston Waldrop probably makes some appearances this year. I don't think Morton sale Strider and freed will all be healthy all year. So I do think the, the Waldrop will get Hurston Waldrop, their first round pick from Florida. He'll get some time in the majors. Yeah. And you also got AJ Smith Schaffer in that's there. What but, I was, that's the guy I was about to mention. Yeah. Too. Yeah. The, those, those are the two guys I think that get some good run. Maybe Dylan Dodd, uh, but but overall, I, I think this is a, a slam dunk move for the Braves. Y'all know Chris Sale's only 35. Yeah, he, he feels like he's been around forever, and he's the same as Charlie Morton. He's like 40-something, but no, he's he's 35. You know, he, he should have two or three more good years in him, and if he can stay healthy, I think this is yeah, this is just a slam dunk move. Yeah, the velocity was still there last year, too. In fact, I think the velocity might have been up last year later in the season. Um 
you know, uh, so in fact, his last year, other than 2022, when he came back and pitched five innings last season, he had his highest velocity since 2018. So, you know, that was, that was kind of a, you know, he still got, he still got the stuff. Yeah. The stuff is there. It's all just about, will he be healthy? That's going to be the main, the main thing. Um, so it, it's a really good trade for the Braves here, especially, you know, considering the fact that they did get him for free this year, which is insane to actually think about. Um, and then the Braves signing him to this, basically the same exact money as Lucas Giolito got from the Red Sox um, was even the funnier part about it. So um, also worth mentioning here, the Braves did sign Luis Guillorme to a one year, $1.1 million deal to basically be that Vaughn Grissom kind of replacement, you know, utility infielder type guy as well. So uh, not a huge deal, but yeah. Guillorme is a, is a solid player. Yeah, Guillorme was kind of interesting to me because in 2022, he was pretty good. He was above league average hitter in 2022 for the Mets. And last year, he didn't do much. But, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to me because they had David Fletcher, who is – they he's not on the 40-man, but he was expected to be their utility guy for just a backup infield role. And I thought it was kind of interesting because I don't think Luis Guillorme can play shortstop really. And uh, so they might end up running, with, running both of them out there. But – um, I thought that was an interesting one because they already had that utility infielder that could play all the you know infield positions. Uh, you know, I guess Luis Guillorme has played a little bit of shortstop, but not much. So um, I guess he could man it if he needed him to. Yeah, he could if you, you need him to there. And um, what you saw Fletcher for a couple yeah. years too. I don't know if he has. I mean, he said he's not on the forty man, so I don't know if he has the options or whatever that would look like, but. Anyways, uh, let's jump over to our next trade that we had happen, um, and that was the Seattle Mariners and San Francisco Giants lining up on our deal that saw uh, Seattle reacquire Mitch Haniger, uh, acquires pitcher Anthony DiSclefani and $6 million in cash, uh, while San Francisco acquired Robbie Ray, uh, the 2021 Cy Young Award winner. Yes. Is that right? Uh, yeah, 2021 Cy Young Award winner. He has three years, $73 million left on his deal. Um, there is an opt-out after the 2024 season, but he is currently recovering from Tommy John and won't be back until probably middle of July, if not right around the uh, the trade deadline. But uh, a high-caliber pitcher when he is when he is on that the Giants acquired. Yeah, this trade was very weird for me. Um, you know, you've got Mitch Haniger going to Seattle. He's a guy that has just dealt with so many injuries in his career. He's only had two healthy seasons where he played over 100 games, but he has been very good when he's played. Um, and I think that Seattle was just not happy that they didn't have him last year because he's kind of, he was kind of the heart and soul of that team. He went through the entire rebuild with them, uh, and you know he didn't get to be a part. And he was you know on that playoff team in 2022. He hadn't really got to be a part of the, you know they want him to be a part of the, the you know what's of going forward with um you know hopefully being a contender. And, uh, you know, he's still a good player, above average bat, play left field, not not a great defender. He was not the worst defender in the league or anything, but he's not great. But, uh, you know, he's their Teoscar Hernandez replacement, I guess, uh, because Teoscar Hernandez is now a Dodger. So um, they brought Mitch Haniger back, so it made sense to get him. They had a hold there. They needed offense. They got a pretty good power bat. And then Disclafani is kind of interesting. He doesn't walk anybody. Um, you know, he's, he's one of those guys, kind of his 
his primary issue is probably the home run ball. And Seattle should help with that because that ballpark is very um, pitcher friendly. So, you know, maybe those home runs come down and he has a good year. Um, you know, he's kind of a four or five starter. And it, it, there's a couple aspects to getting him because I do think he'll be on, on the big league team for the Mariners. I don't think they're going to just release him or something because he is still pretty good or at least decent. Um, and I think that it maybe opens up them to move one of their young starters for a, for a star, you know, for a, for a, for a position player uh, that they need. And it kind of just, you still got that rotation depth with this Glafani and uh, you, you can move some of that young starting pitching upside to, to get a bat that you really need. I think that's something to look, look out for there. And then Robbie Ray might have the most roller coaster career. <laughs> I mean, he was basically getting like DFA'd you know, in 2020, 2021, he was terrible. Uh, or sorry, 2020, he was terrible. His walk rate was like astronomical. He always struggled with command. And then all of a sudden in 2021, he started striking, he kept striking guys out, but he quit walking guys. And uh, kind of continued to 2022, although he wasn't quite as good. Um, he does still get hit by the home run ball a little bit. His velocity was way down in 2022, a full mile per hour from 2021. Uh, and then last year, he only pitched in three innings and had Tommy John surgery. So um, this is a risky player to have because while he's been good for Toronto and was pretty decent for Seattle, he ate a lot of innings, at least for them, in 2022. Um you know, he's always been a kind of a roller coaster of a career and you wonder how he's going to come back from Tommy John surgery with the profile that he's had throughout, throughout his career. Like it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And he's owed some real money too. Um, I think he's owed through 2027 and it's something like he's got a $24 million AAV. So it's a pretty good amount of money that he's owed. And I don't know how well that contract is going to end up holding up, but it isn't quite as long-term as I thought it was when, when they traded him. Uh, and, you know, there's also the downside that if, even if he does come back fully healthy and, and looks like himself, you know, next year, you know, or this coming up year, he's not going to pitch for half the season too. So there's that aspect of it as well. It's going to be very interesting to see how this works out. Cause I, I don't think any of these players, in this move are quite what they have been at times, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with them, uh, you know, coming out to, um, you know, with this trade and, and who comes out on top here. To me, this, this is all about the Mariners are saving a little bit of money, right? Trading off Robbie Ray's higher contract and getting back, you know, one guy they're going to definitely use in DeSclafani and one guy that they definitely want to get back in, in Mitch Haniger and then, uh, to me, the Giants are clearing roster space to make another another signing of some kind, right? You know, we talked about Matt Chapman. Cody Bellinger's still out there. Uh, Shoto Imanaga's posting finishes here on Thursday. The Giants have been rumored to be in. Uh, we'll, we'll see where they go, but they definitely were just trying to open up some roster space here and maybe pick up an upside option in Robbie Ray, who, you know, when, when healthy and right is, is a Cy Young caliber pitcher, but you know, he, he's not always healthy. And even when he is healthy, he's not always right. So, um, you know, I, I like Robbie Ray. I think this is a, you know, he, he can excel in giants, the giants park with, with the big gaps, but uh, you know, and we know what Mitch Handiger can do in Seattle, so it all makes sense. Let's go to the next Mariners trade because Jerry Depoto did a lot of Jerry Depotoing this week. Yeah, he did real quick on this. I think that it was the 
you know, this part of the trade was the Giants not going to really have a spot for Hanager to play every day and sending him back to a place where yeah. they, you know, because they, they signed Jung Hooley. You still have Mike yeah. Conforto. You still have Mike Yastrzemski. Um, and you were going to have Wilmer Flores be kind of your DH who's been actually pretty good in San Francisco. So um, send him back to Seattle and you get a high upside pitcher. Yeah, that just happens to be a lefty in a division where you have a lot of, uh, especially for their biggest rival, that's very left-handed. And I was going to mention that, you know, they definitely wanted to move Hanager because, um, the, you know, the defense aspect, you yeah. look at, you know, they, I think they really wanted to get better defensively. They've been running Jock Peterson out in the outfield. They've been running Mitch Hanager, Michael Conforto, Mike Yastrzemski playing center, um, that defense, that outfield defense has been really bad, and Jung Hoo Lee should be a, a lot better than those guys. I think he's going to play center field, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And they can bump Yastrzemski to a corner where he's at least adequate, and and then I, I definitely think that that was an aspect of wanting to move on from from Hanniger too, as opposed to maybe some some of the young guys or something. But uh, definitely, definitely an interesting one there. Yeah, so we just talked about Mitch Hanniger being the, um, you know, maybe potential Teoscar Hernandez replacement in Seattle. Where, well, Jerry Depoto did his thing again and acquired Luke Rayleigh from the Tampa Bay Rays for infielder Jose Caballeros. Uh, and you can look at Rayleigh as potentially being their Jared Kellenick replacement, who they traded to Atlanta earlier this offseason. Yeah, Luke Rayleigh was awesome last year. Uh, guy kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. Uh, but did a typical rate in typical Rays fashion, right? I mean, he was absolutely slamming the ball, lighting up the stat cast sliders, 19 homers last year, 490 slugging, 823 OPS, right? A lot of swing and miss, but he's real athletic. He can definitely still play the corner outfield slots and, and probably also some first base. He'll be the Jared Kellenick replacement, right? Caballeros should slot in at shortstop for the Rays unless they play junior Caminero there. Or unless they go back to Taylor Walls, they they've got some options. Um, so you know, with with Wander Franco getting arrested and uh, not yeah. not appearing to be on his way back anytime soon, no, that that's pretty gruesome details. So that's getting um, more and more ugly every day. Yeah, and, you know, this is a they they need some infielders to to get in get in there in Tampa Bay and Luke Rayleigh at the kind of corner outfield first base DH uh, spectrum is definitely going to be. Uh, you know, someone they can move and out of a surplus and, and keep a, a number of really good talented players over there in Tampa. So I think Luke Rayleigh mashes in, in in Seattle, but we have seen like with Teoscar Hernandez, guys go over and struggle in Seattle just because the park's a little bit different. Time zone, time zones are a little bit different, right? He's literally moving all the way across the country. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it affects Luke Rayleigh, but ultimately, you know, I, I think Seattle's a good fit for him. He'll have a chance to play all season, and you know, he had a pretty weird injury at the end of the year, too. I want to say he got poked in the eye or got hit in the neck or something and had nerve issues and went on the aisle, so hopefully that's resolved. Yeah. But, yeah, he had, yeah, so hopefully, yeah, Luke Rayleigh's good. Yeah, that, I, I think this is a really good trade for, for both sides as of right now. The problem is that the Rays are getting one of the players, and when the Rays trade for players, they usually like double their production. So, um, you know, and I think both of these players are interesting. Luke Rayleigh, they're kind of opposites. Luke Rayleigh is a quarter outfield basher, hits the ball really hard. He's not the most like fleet of foot guy. He did steal 14 bases this year, which was pretty interesting, but he's, he's a big, you know, he's kind of a bigger guy. Um, I think he's, um, 
you know, I, 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 he hit the, he's, he strikes out a ton, doesn't walk very often. Um, you know, I know Damien's familiar with him from his time with the Dodgers, but he had a good year this past year, you know, a 130 WRC plus, although he had a 330 batting average on balls in play, which is a lot higher than, than, you know, I think his profile probably suggests it should be. Um, so I, I don't know if he's quite as good as this year he put up last year, but he was, he was very good and he is a strict platoon guy. He's the, definitely the Jared Kellenick replacement him and, and with Mitch Hanniger being the Teoscar Hernandez replacement, like you, you just got two replacements that are fairly similar. Um, and then Caballero is a guy that, or Caballero is a guy that, I mean, his plate discipline numbers are really, really good in the minor leagues and at the big league level this year. His walk rates have been really high. He had a 343 on base percentage uh, in 104 games. He stole 26 bases. He's got some speed. He plays really good defense on the infield. He's kind of exactly what you think the. Um, he's kind of exactly what you what the what you would think the Rays want. They get they get a guy that that helps with run prevention. He's a good defender and you know he's athletic and he's surprisingly good plate discipline like you know he put up a 96 wrc plus this year as a rookie um i would not be surprised to see him continue to play really well for the for the uh you know for the rays and i could see him maybe being more of a like a geraldo perdomo type of guy but uh i think he's i think he's a solid pickup for them and both of these guys have a lot of control left too just before Damien goes, I do want to say the injury for Luke Rayleigh was a cervical strain that he got from uh, running into a staff member while taking while fielding balls during BP. So, yeah, hope that's resolved because that's yeah. a weird one. I haven't heard that one before. That is a very weird one. That's like those spring training incidents that always come up, like guy slipped in the shower or cut himself fishing, like one of those weird ones. Um, you know, as far as this trade. It's it's kind of a screams a move that both of these teams kind of always do here. Like the Rays get the kind of really good defensive guy. That maybe if they tweak a little bit on the the batted ball profile, that maybe he can find a little bit more offense since he already has the you know he always has the good plate discipline and the good walk rate and stuff. You know, you find a guy who maybe he doesn't slug. You know, he's not going to slug four hundred, but if you get him to slug three seventy and he bats. 260 and then he has a really good defender there it's like that's type of the player the rays are going to be really good with anyways um and then luke rayleigh like we mentioned it's gonna be the jared kellenick replacement it's kind of what the mariners needed there um and that aspect the fit is kind of weird for me with caballero because you do have taylor walls you do have Brandon Lau, you do have curtis mead you do have junior camonero coming up like you do have a lot of those guys already um and you, I know you have Yandy Diaz at first base, so Rayleigh wouldn't have got much time there. But the fit there is just kind of weird. Maybe if they move off Lau or maybe Caballero becomes like a, a platoon guy for for Lau. Um, but he does have a lot of control, so that's something that the, the Rays do like um, as well. He just screams kind of like a guy they'll tinker on something with and, and make a solid player. Um, but Tampa was also not done they made another trade this time with the st louis cardinals and traded relief pitcher andrew kittridge for outfielder richie palacios yeah this one is another one that you know trading with the rays is a dangerous game and andrew kittridge is 
he hasn't pitched very much at the big league level in the last few years. And, you know, he was awesome in 2021, had a 188 ERA in 71 innings. These past couple of years, he hasn't been on the field very much. Um, I believe I, I I don't I don't remember what his injury was. It might have been Tommy John surgery between seasons, but I think he had Tommy John. Yeah, I'll look it up real quick. But he he came back this year and pitched eleven innings. You know, it, it, we'll see. His strikeout rate was way down over these past couple of years from what he did in twenty twenty one, and that was a, that was an outlier year for him too. You know, twenty twenty was pretty good, but he only pitched eight innings. Uh, but before that, he was kind of a four ERA pitcher. Um, He's one of those guys that he's kind of a lottery ticket that you're looking at having one really, really good season of upside for him from. Throws hard for a lefty out of the bullpen. Or, sorry, he's a righty. He throws very hard out of the bullpen. Um, But he, you know, I I think that when you're trading a guy that, when you're trading with the Rays and, you you know, they trade a reliever away, that typically doesn't work out all that well uh, because the Rays are so good at identifying relievers that are going to be really successful and that's one that you know they are willing to move on from but uh richie palacios is kind of interesting um he he's been he was pretty good in triple a for the cardinals this year and then he got to the big league level and he only played 32 games but it was pretty good there as well uh guy who's a pretty good hitter he's fast um he's got some speed He's. I didn't. I didn't know that. But Fangraphs graded him as a twenty grade fielder, out of uh, you know, when he was a prospect and just in twenty twenty, he was a twenty twenty two prospect graduate. So, um, you know, he's put up really good numbers in the minor leagues in the past, and you know, this year was no exception to that. Once he got traded to the to Seattle, I mean, to St. Louis. So, I do think that he's pretty. Um, you know, I think he's a pretty good option to to bring in and. I guess he's kind of probably the Manuel Margot replacement. Um, I guess he he does hit lefty, but you know I think he's a guy that they probably identified and said this guy's got some upside. We were going to move a reliever that we're not confident in staying healthy and get a guy with a little bit of upside. So um, definitely definitely an interesting trade there. And I think he's also got I thought you know Kittridge is a free agent in 2025. And Palacios isn't a free agent for a long time. So. Yeah, it's worth noting on Palacios, he only has one minor league option left. Um, So maybe he's like your kind of Luke Rayleigh, Manny Margot replacement. Like Luke Rayleigh from the left side, but then Margot is in the style of player he is. Um, That we might see them succeed with and and make some changes there. Uh, It is worth on Kit Ridge. He is dealt with elbow, neck, back, elbow, and then Tommy John in 2023. So... yeah, he's missed a total of 331 days with most of those coming due to elbow issues. Um, some in 2020 and then 2022 and 2023. So that is what Kittridge is. And he Kittridge is 33 um, yeah. as well. He's in, he's on the older side um, and a guy who's going to be a free agent really soon. But, um, you know, if we've seen anything from the Rays, they like getting outfielders from the Cardinals. Um, just looking left field with Randy Rosarena. They, not saying Richie Palacios is going to be a Rosarena, but hey, like you never know. I mean, if, I'm not saying you know the Rays nail 100 percent of their trades, but you but probably you want to buy you probably want to buy Richie Palacios stock. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it's better to hedge, right? And the one I'll point out, remember, just remember, they traded Joe Ryan to the Twins for half a year in Nelson Cruz. So That's true. 
you know, that's they are not perfect, right? But they hit a lot more than they miss. Yep. Richard Palacios is going to be like a sneaky MVP candidate this year, isn't he? I don't know about all that, but he'll at least be solid. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's move over to our last uh, – it's not really a move, but our last piece of news that we want to talk about here in this episode, and that is that Michael Brantley um, called it a career uh, – I'm trying to pull up. I didn't have his page open. Uh, called it a career, uh, You know, played parts of – what is that? 16 seasons? Parts of? Uh, he dealt with some injuries there, but – yeah. Um, Thirteen years of service time, at least, uh, but played most of his years in Cleveland from '09 to, to twenty eighteen, and then a few years in Houston. Uh, you know, career two ninety eight hitter, one seventeen WRC plus. Doesn't have the WAR you think he would have, only twenty eight point eight. But man, some of those Cleveland years were really fun to watch. Yeah, Michael Brantley was an awesome player. He's kind of a throwback type of guy where he's high contact, hits a lot of doubles. He he did have 20 home runs a couple times, but, um, you know, walked a pretty decent amount for the amount of contact he made, didn't strike out much. You know, a 298 career hitter, 355 career on base. Uh, back when he was with Cleveland, he, he did steal a decent amount of bases too, you know, 15 to 20 a year. And that was, of course, before the current – uh, the current game where it's stolen bases are like if you steal twenty, you're a first baseman um, with with the new rules. But he, um, you know, he, he's he's a very solid hitter, a one seventeen career WRC plus, and I mean he only has thirty WAR for his career. Um, you know, and I think you know the injuries played a huge part of that. He had one, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of his big league seasons. He played less than a hundred games. Um, and he just never – he could never consistently stay healthy. But he had a few good years where he did stay healthy and was part of a World Series team in Houston, um, part of three or four teams that went to the World Series between Houston, and he was also on Cleveland's uh, team that played the Cubs. He's a very good um, – you know, he's, he's, he's one of those guys that in five years they will put him on the Hall of Fame ballot. You'll look at him and say, oh, wow, I remember Michael Brantley. He was really good. But he's probably not going to get any kind of consideration on that or anything. But uh, he's, he's he's that type. So a uh, good good career for him. Made a lot of money in his career too. Signed signed a couple of nice, pretty nice deals with Houston uh, late in his career. To he's he had a fantastic career and he was really fun to watch. You know, sad to see him not playing anymore. But uh, you know, congratulations to him. Yeah, I was gonna just say, you know, the. Um... You know, the, the Hall of Fame thing, is it's kind of my where I tend to look when we start mentioning guys retiring. And, you know, Michael Brantley's not going to get in, right? But I think the fact that he played long enough to probably get on the ballot is a pretty significant accomplishment for a guy who went through as many injuries as he did. Um, you know, he missed several full seasons, including last year, where he was pretty much out the entire year. And, um, you know, that that's that makes it tough for... Yeah, a guy to, to you know accumulate those counting stats. He barely has a thousand hits. You know, he, like 120 home runs. Right? It, it's not gonna, it's not gonna parlay into a Hall of Fame career. But he was definitely an impactful player in the mid 2000 or 2010s, and um, you know we'll uh, we'll remember him once we get back onto the the Hall of Fame ballot. And I'm excited for the the preview for next week. There at least a little Hall of Fame talk because next week is our Hall of Fame episode, and um, 
you know, we'll have some we'll have some takes and some thoughts and some uh, some lively discussions. We might all be joint conjoined fighting against the BBWAA, but I think one mistake they won't make is electing Michael Brantley to the Hall of Fame. They'll uh, <laughs> they'll leave him off, I think, and then it'll be reasonable. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be our next episode. Actually, it'll be in two weeks on January 23rd. Um, that's when the Hall of Fame ballots are announced. And then obviously we'll go through ours on that, on that aspect. Um, but, you know, some things to look forward to heading up to that time. Uh, you know, David mentioned earlier, uh, Shota Imanaga's um, decision has to be finalized by Thursday. Um, the deadline is Thursday for that contract, not just be agreed to, like it has to be finalized. So should hear some news on him in the next day or two. Um, and then from, from multiple people, including Jeff Passan, who's like one of the most trusted people out there. Um, he said right around this weekend, the 12th kind of 13th area is when the arbitration, um, numbers kind of start, have to be filed. And he said he expects movements to start picking up from there, from from places he's heard. Um, so we should start hearing, hopefully, some more free agency news here um, in the next couple weeks. And then, um, you know, the trade market will also take shape. But, you know, it's, it's a lot harder when the top four people left on the market are all Scott Boris clients. And people are all kind of waiting for that because he's, uh, he's the most patient agent that we've ever seen in any sport. And it's really frustrating. Um, from that aspect. But. Yeah. Um, I think I saw something this week and I was listening to somebody that might have been Ken Rosenthal, but they were saying that of the top 40, the athletic uh, put out a top 40 list of free agents, like something like 23 of them had not signed. And that, and that might yeah. have changed since then. But um, I think, I mean, Teoscar Hernandez might have been on that list. I don't, I don't even, I don't know, but yeah, uh, I'm assuming he probably was, but uh, that was, um, you know, that was an interesting, um, that, that was, I thought that was interesting that the majority of the top 40 free agents have still not signed. And we've only got, I was looking at it yesterday. We've only got like five weeks still spring training. So, um, pretty crazy, but, uh, definitely, uh, definitely a lot to look forward to here in the next few weeks. Yeah. We are 45 days from spring training game starting. Hopefully, hopefully this arbitration deadline and Imanaga signing is going to jumpstart the market a little bit. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, so that's the hope. So right now the schedule is the 23rd to be Hall of Fame ballots and announcements. Uh, February 5th, we'll do kind of a free agent offseason wrap up. And then we will start division breakdowns February 12th. Um, and that will run us basically until the season starts. And then we'll have our predictions episode on March 25th. And obviously we might have some emergency episodes within there. Potentially if, if we get like a wild week where... Um, you know, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Blake Snell, Josh Hader all decide to sign in the same week. Then maybe we'll do a do an episode there. But that's the tentative With schedule the for what it looks like. <laughs> At this point, it's going to be the Dodgers, and I don't think there's going to be any tendency yeah. otherwise. Um, so be on the lookout for the social media pages, um, and, and we'll let you guys know if we're going to do a uh, emergency episode or not. But thank you guys for tuning into this episode of the Batfoot Podcast, and we'll catch you guys back here in a couple weeks.